or what. But anyway, it's one chapter. Am I too loud? Okay. Okay, thank you. It's only one chapter. I think it's 26 verses or something like that. But I've read it several times already, and it's still, I, I, I can turn it down. I read it several times, that's good, and I'm very encouraged by what I've read. And one thing I noticed in this letter is that Paul doesn't use the word apostle in this letter. In fact, there are several letters that he doesn't use the word apostle, and I think the reason he doesn't use the word apostle here is because he doesn't want to, in fact, he didn't command, he doesn't command Philemon to do anything, but rather he appeals to him. He appeals to him to do what he wants him to do. There, there are some things he wants him to do, but he doesn't command him to do it. So he doesn't refer to himself as an apostle. And there, as I mentioned, there are several other letters where he does the same thing. Philemon is a believer, and so Paul apparently felt that if he were to appeal to him, letting him know what he wanted him to do, and do it in a non-commanding kind of way, that Philemon would do it. And so I think that's a good lesson also for us, is that we don't always have to um, let people know our status in terms of uh, asking them to do something. We can make an appeal to them considering that they are believers also, and they want to do the right thing as we want to do the right thing. But anyway, the theme of this letter to Philemon is a manual on forgiveness. Jordan alluded to it earlier that this letter is about forgiveness. And even Mike mentioned it last Sunday that this letter is about forgiveness, even though the word forgiveness is not mentioned in the letter. But that's what it's about, because uh, Paul is wanting Philemon to forgive Onesimus, who was his slave that ran away. He may have defrauded him. He may have stolen from him or whatever he may have done. Paul wanted Philemon to forgive him of that. And so not to hold that against him and to receive him back because Paul had sent him back. By the way, that was before Onesimus conversion. He was not a converted man when he did that, but he was a converted man when he went converted man when he went back. And so now Paul is making that appeal to Philemon. Uh, the theme of our passage is introduction and greetings. So we will be introducing this letter briefly and then we'll have a few verses that we will cover in some detail. And the term Philemon means affectionate one. I was able to find that in one of the lexicons, I guess one of the leading lexicons. And when I looked at it, I said that makes sense because when you look at the word Philemon, some say Philemon, I think Jordan says Philemon. Either way, if you look at the first five letters, P-H-I-L-E, That's similar to phileo, which is a word that's translated love, brotherly love, like Philadelphia. So I can see how that could be the case, affectionate one. 
And so that's, the, that's what this word means. And so what I plan to do is briefly go through some of the uh, aspects of this letter and some of the normal things that we go through when we're introducing a letter, the people, the places, the dates, the author, and so forth. So we will do that now. So you have an outline there. Philemon, we've already indicated what it, what it means. Um, although when we look at this letter, you can turn to the letter, by the way. It's uh, before Hebrews. It's between Hebrews and Titus. Between Hebrews and Titus. Titus and Hebrews. This may not be a letter that you read often, but hopefully we'll get started reading it more often than we have in the past. I know I have been so far. But anyway, it seems as if when you look at the first several verses, it appears that Paul is writing to a lot of people here, or at least several people. But if you notice also, he's basically writing to one man, and that one man is Philemon. Now, the other people may be affected by what Paul is asking Philemon to do, which they probably will, because they are actually in the same church. Also, I may say that... Um, this is the church in Colossae, the same uh, letter that Paul wrote, uh, similar to, well, this, the letter that we just finished. This, this letter here is to one of the members of that church, whereas that letter was to the whole church. So it's the same church, same location, same people, and so forth. All of them may not be mentioned here. But he's primarily speaking to Philemon, because this is a personal letter. It's basically a private letter. I'm not sure if they read it to the whole church or how it was actually done. But it's Paul is writing to his good friend, Philemon. And uh, so he, Paul is the author, as it indicates in the first verse. In fact, the first word in the letter. He says, Paul. So he's the author of the letter. And he's writing it to Philemon. The date of this letter is very similar to the date of Colossians as well as Ephesians and now Philemon. All these letters were probably written around the same time. And the reason we say that is, is because as we learned earlier toward the end of our study of Colossians, Colossians, Ephesians, as well as the letter to Philemon were sent to those churches and to this man by Paul, by a, one of his close friends by the name of uh, Tychicus. You remember him? Tychicus. And along with Tychicus, he also sent Philemon, I mean, uh, Onesimus back to Philemon, or back to Colossae. So there's some similarity between these two letters because they're written basically to the same church and the same person in, the, in this church that, uh, and, and Colossae. So Paul is the author, and the date of the letter is probably around the early 60s A.D., maybe 60 to 61 or 62 A.D., somewhere in that time frame. And these are also called the prison epistles because Paul was, I don't know if you could say he was in prison, but he was actually uh, in house arrest, waiting to be tried. He's waiting for his trial to determine whether he would be freed or not. And we know that he ultimately he was freed from that particular situation. Roman, number, Roman, Roman numeral three, background and setting. 
basically the background of this is Rome and um, Colossae. This is where the two places are that's involved here. <clears throat> I'd like to read verse 19, though. Let's, let's look at verse 19. Paul is writing this letter, and um, he uh, probably, Philemon was probably converted during Paul's Ephesian ministry. Paul was in Ephesians, not in, not in Ephesians, but in Ephesus. Paul was in Ephesus probably close to three years. In fact, he spent a long time there. Uh, and so Colossae is probably approximately rather 120 miles from Ephesus. It's east of Ephesus at that time, probably 100 to 120 miles. And Philemon probably had an opportunity to visit Ephesus when Paul was there. And that's probably how they became acquainted with each other. And that's probably when, during the time when Philemon may have heard the gospel and believed. When Paul was in Ephesus, in fact in Acts, he talk, it talks about that during that ministry period when Paul was there, that the gospel spread throughout the whole region of Asia. So Paul had a very effective ministry in Ephesus during the time that he was there. Not that Paul traveled while he was there, but Paul preached. In fact, he preached for two years and taught for two years in a school called the School of a man by the name of Tyrannus. After they had run him out of the synagogue, he taught for two full years in that place. And Ephesus was a, somewhat of a port city, so people would come and go. And those who would come, they would hear the gospel. And they would take the gospel back to wherever they came from. And that's one way the gospel spread rapidly during the early uh, days of the church. People would come to a certain place. In fact, it, it may have been Paul's missionary strategy to go to larger cities, especially port cities, where, people, where there was great commerce, people would come and go, they would hear the gospel, and then some would believe, and they would take the gospel back to where they came from. And as a result of that, the gospel multiplied. The word of the Lord was multiplying. You read that sometimes in the book of Acts. The word of the Lord was multiplying. And people were being saved, even though they never heard Paul personally, even though they never saw Paul personally, and they may not have even known Paul personally, but at the same time, they were receiving the gospel through other people who were hearing Paul, being saved, and then taking the gospel back to their home area or wherever they lived at that time. Now, in verse 19, <clears throat> notice what Paul says. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Now, what he's talking about here is that if, if, if Onesimus has stolen something from Paul, Paul is putting himself on the line, promising that he would repay it to Philemon. So he was concerned about how Philemon might feel about what Philemon had done. We don't know exactly what he had done in terms of wronging him. We do know that he had left, which also meant that he owed that time to Philemon, which he wasn't involved with during the time that he was away. So he owed him at least some time and whatever work that he was actually doing. But anyway, he says, I, Paul, am writing this 
with my own hand. I will repay it. Now you notice in parenthesis, if you have an NAS, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self as well. That phrase in parentheses here probably refers to the fact that Paul was, I mean, Philemon was converted uh, at Paul's, uh, uh, by hearing Paul's preaching of the gospel. That's probably what he means here. Not to mention to you that you owe to me your own self. Probably referring to his own life, especially his own spiritual life. You owe that to me because I, I preached the gospel to you or shared the gospel with you and you believed. And as a result of that, God gave you new life, regeneration by the work of the Spirit in the gospel that you heard. So that's probably what he's referring to here. There's some key people in this letter, uh, Roman numeral four. The first one is Paul. Paul is the author of this letter. It mentions, and Timothy, our brother here in the first verse, but he's not including Timothy as the author along with him. This letter was written by Paul, even as we just read verse 19. And verse um, 10 also, he says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, which implies that Paul is writing this letter himself to Philemon. <clears throat> as I mentioned earlier, Paul does not use the word apostle in here. He calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul is a, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So Paul doesn't say he's a prisoner of the Roman government. He doesn't say he's a prisoner of the Roman authorities. But he says he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Why do you think he said that? Why do you think that he said that he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus? Absolutely. He's a bond slave of Christ. Christ owns him. Christ owns him. And Christ, it is because of Christ that he's actually in prison in Rome. It's not because of the Roman authorities in Rome that he's a prisoner there, but it's because of Christ. Because he, is, he had been proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. This began some years prior to this. This actually began in Jerusalem. When Paul, after his third missionary journey... He went back to Jerusalem. He went to Jerusalem, and he was actually uh, arrested in Jerusalem. In fact, he was arrested to be protected from the Jews who wanted to harm him. It was the Jews in Jerusalem who initiated all of this. And then they eventually took him to Caesarea on the coast, the Mediterranean coast there. And then eventually, for after several years, probably about two years there, the authorities there couldn't make a decision as to whether Paul was guilty or not. And Paul said, I appeal to Caesar. They said, go. And he went to Rome. And that's how he got to Rome, which was a long, arduous voyage to Rome. And so he's there now waiting for his trial. And so he's probably been there for a year or so. We don't know exactly, but I think he was there for about two years. But anyway, he calls himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus. What a statement that is. Think about a person who, in a sense, went against the grain, if you will. Uh, he had been threatened. He had been beaten. 
And many things had been happened to happened, many things had happened to him contrary to what he desired, but he continued to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul firmly believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He felt with all of his being that that was his main purpose for being on this earth. His primary purpose for being on this earth was to preach the gospel no matter what happened to him. He was convinced that he was doing the right thing. He could be imprisoned, he could be beaten, uh, he could suffer shipwreck as he did on his voyage to Rome and various other things. He didn't stop. He never stopped. What a courageous representative of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be like that for the sake of the gospel. So he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. It is, absolutely. In fact, he, he was not concerned about himself. He knew that he was going to suffer difficulty. He knew that when he, if he goes, when he went to Jerusalem, he had been warned already not to go. But um, he told the people who were warning him not to go, he said, you're breaking my heart. He said, not only am I willing to suffer in Jerusalem, I'm willing to die if necessary. So Paul was a key figure in this letter as well as Philemon. Philemon was a prominent member of the church at Colossae. And we know that he owned at least one slave, Onesimus. He may have owned more, but it's not mentioned, so we won't belabor that point. But we do know that he owned one slave, and apparently he was a wealthy man. Apparently he was somewhat wealthy because the church actually met in his house. So apparently he had a house large enough for the church to meet in and also to house all the others who were living with him. And so uh, he must have been somewhat well off in terms of financially. And Onesimus, letter C. Onesimus was a former slave which had, who had defrauded Philemon in some way. We don't know exactly what wrong he did to him. But if we look at verse 18, Paul says, But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. We know that his, the fact that he had run away, he had done wrong there, but he may have taken something with him before he left. We don't know exactly what position Onesimus may have had before he left. But, Paul says, charge it to my account. In other words, charge it to me. Look at verse 17. He says, if then you regard me as a partner. This word is the same word that's translated fellowship in some places in our Bible. In other words, uh, koinonia. Accept him as you would me. This is quite an appeal that Paul is making to Philemon here. Accept this, your runaway slave in the same way that you would accept your friend Paul. How can he do that? 
What would, what, would, what would Philemon have to do in order to accept Onesimus in this way? Huh? He would have to forgive him. and He would have to forgive him. He would not be able to accept him in this manner unless he forgives him. So in a sense, Paul is saying, forgive him. And then in verse 18, which we already read, he says, if he's wronged you anyway, or owes you anything, Charge that to my account. Charge that to my account. In other words, charge it to me. Put it on my bill. Put it, lay it down to my charge that I will take care of it at some point in time. But forgive him. Receive him back. Welcome him back. Roman numeral five the setting, slavery. As we know, slavery was very prominent during the first century Roman Empire during Paul's day. And apparently, more and more believers were beginning to own slaves because we see even in Colossians as well as in Ephesians where Paul was writing, he wrote to slaves first in terms of how they should conduct their lives in terms of working and behaving in an appropriate way as slaves of their masters. But also Paul, Paul also wrote to the masters of those slaves as well. Look at Colossians chapter 4 verse 1. Colossians chapter 4 verse 1. Paul had just finished writing to the slaves um, in Colossae. And now in chapter 3, verses 22 through 25, he had written to slaves in terms of how they should be diligent, performing their duties uh, for their masters that they had been assigned. But Paul also wrote to the masters as well. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, he says, Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. So he's telling his, the masters of the slaves in Colossae, and very similar in Ephesians, in Ephesus, how the masters should treat their slaves, not just lord it over them in a despotic manner. Because, notice, I like this part here, he says, knowing at the middle of the verse that you too have a master in heaven. They have a master as well. Even though they are human masters over the human slaves, but they also have a master in heaven because Paul is writing to perhaps the Christian masters here because this letter is written to Christians. So he's writing to the believing masters who own slaves and he's directing them how to treat those slaves. Because during the time of slavery in the Roman Empire, the Roman, I mean, the masters of slaves and the owners of slaves had basically sovereign authority over them because to those masters, the slaves were just like this desk here. They were like property to them. And they could basically treat them. The laws allowed them basically to treat them however they chose to do. But Paul said, that's not the way to do it in, when you're in Christ. There's a different standard or different measure or different way of relating to each other when you are in Christ. 
Even though Paul never spoke against the concept of slavery or the institution of slavery, but he, all, but he did teach in terms of how they should relate to each other, that is, the slaves and the, to their masters and their masters to their slaves. And I think that's a lesson for us also. We don't always know how we might be treated by those who are in authority over us, but we do know that we are to behave in a manner consistent with who we are. Um, we think about uh, Jordan taught on this in excellently in an excellent manner when we were in Colossians. I think what we want to remember is that whatever our status might be, whatever our circumstances might be, before all of that is the word Christian. The word Christian is always before whatever else we are, whatever job we may have, whatever position we may have, the word Christian is before that. And we want to behave in that, man, in that position, in that situation, in a Christian manner. And that's what Paul is teaching here. The same thing. You are a Christian or a believer in Jesus Christ first. And then you do what you do, but do it in a manner consistent with who you are in Christ or your identity in Christ. So what is the occasion of this letter? Well, it's a plea for forgiveness. Paul is making a valiant plea to Onesimus to forgive, I mean to Philemon to forgive his runaway slave. Apparently Onesimus became dissatisfied with the circumstances or the conditions of his servitude at the hand of Philemon and he ran away. We don't know exactly what all happened there or what occurred. We're just kind of putting the pieces together based on what the scriptures are saying. And apparently prior to running away, he may have taken some money, if that was accessible to him, or something because of the way Paul wrote this here. He says, if he has defrauded you in any way or stolen anything from you, charge it to my account. So we have... We are reading between the lines, or we are reading in a manner that's uh, using sanctified imagination. But we want to be truthful also to the text. So the occasion is forgiveness. That is what Paul is desiring of Philemon. Because Philemon still belonged, Philemon, Onesimus. I knew I'd be getting these mixed up. Onesimus is the one who had done the wrong. And Paul has sent him back, but before sending him back, he wrote this letter to Philemon, telling, asking Philemon how to respond to him when he received him back. So Onesimus, it's absolutely amazing, the story of Onesimus. He fled to Rome, which was a very large city, probably 500,000 people, if not more. And he was kind of in a, uh, this was a metropolitan type city. There was different people there, from different backgrounds and so forth. So he probably thought he could hide among the crowd there. But as God's providence would have it, somehow he ended up 
to the place where Paul was staying. And uh, Paul's custom was to proclaim the gospel to whoever was in front of him or even beside him, he proclaimed the gospel. And at some point during the process, Onesimus believed in the gospel and he was saved. I guess you can't run away from God. God knows where you are. God knows where you are. And if, you, if a person is a chosen one of God, God will find him and God will somehow bring him and a person who knows God or knows Christ together so that that person can hear the gospel. Onesimus became a true believer in Jesus Christ. And we have evidence of that. We have evidence of his salvation based on Paul's own statements. Let's look at verse 10 of Philemon. We'll read in the same chapter. He says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whom I, be, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. In other words, what Paul is saying here, that he shared the gospel with Onesimus, and the Spirit of God worked in that gospel and regenerated Onesimus and enabled him to repent and believe. He goes on to say in verse 11, who formerly was useless to you. He ran away, right? But now is useful to you and to me. So Paul is using a play on words here. He was useless at first, but now he's useful to both of us, you and to me. It's amazing what conversion can do to a person in terms of changing them. He ran away but now he's useful to you. In fact, Onesimus means useful. He is useful to you as well as to Paul because apparently uh, Onesimus spent some more time with Paul after his conversion and he served in some capacity there with Paul while Paul was in house arrest. But Paul knew that Onesimus, apparently when he learned at least that Onesimus belonged to Philemon, whom Paul knew. He knew that it was the right thing to do to send him back. So that's what he's actually doing here. He says in verse 15, he says, For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while or for a time, that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than, than a slave, a beloved brother. This also implies that Onesimus was genuinely saved or genuinely converted. Paul is calling him a beloved brother. In fact, he calls him the same thing in Colossians as well. A beloved brother. especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Notice the aspect, the part of this that's in the Lord. That implies he's also a true believer or a genuine believer. So Paul is sending him back. This is the proper thing to do. 
Paul wanted to keep him there because he apparently he was very effective with Paul in his ministry. He wanted to keep him, but he knew that uh, Onesimus did not belong to him, so he's sending him back to his rightful owner whom he had deserted. Let's look at letter B under Roman numeral 7. The theological aspect of slavery within the church. We read some of these verses already, but one of the theological aspects of slavery is found in Galatians 3.28. So let's turn to Galatians 3.28. Galatians 3.28. This is a familiar verse, probably to all of us. And I think it applies in this case. He says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying here, no matter what our racial, social distinctions may be, gender distinction, all of these things which distinguish us, in Christ Jesus we are all one. What he's talking about here, no matter how diverse we are in terms of our backgrounds and so forth, we are all one entity in Christ Jesus. And we don't want to allow whatever our status or situation might be to cause conflict and um, not able to perform what we are to perform among each other or to share with one another or to love one another or to serve one another or to serve with or alongside one another. Those distinctions are not to conflict with whatever the agenda is in terms of what God has called us to do. Also, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Paul continues to speak along these same lines. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 1. He's looking at distinctions or lack of distinctions. He says, all who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and our doctrine, our doctrine will not be spoken against. Those who have believers as their masters must not dis be disrespectful to them because they're brethren but must serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. Again, Paul is emphasizing how the slaves are to view their masters, they are to honor them, and they are to work hard in the service that the masters have deployed them into. And there are other verses that may be listed on your outline as well. This is talking about and referring to how Christianity has changed or transformed the relationships between slaves and their masters, which was different among those who were not believers. 
exactly. Roman numeral eight, key doctrines in Philemon. The key doctrine we've already mentioned is forgiveness. I've read some of these verses already, and I don't see any reason to read them again. I will just read the first one, verse 16. Let's look at that one more time, verse 16. Philemon 16. He says, no longer as a slave, I'm just cutting in here, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. I think this is so important to look at each other who is among us as a brother or a sister in Christ. He's a beloved brother. He's loved by God. He's loved by others in the church. And Paul says, especially to me, but now much more to you both in the flesh, that is, as a slave, and in the Lord, that is, as a believer in Jesus Christ. So Paul is giving Philemon reasons to forgive Onesimus. He's appealing, he's still making his appeal to him to forgive him. He's not who he was when he left. There's been a radical transformation that has taken place in him. So receive him as you would receive me. What a statement. Letter B says, equality in Christ. We are all one in Christ. I don't think we need to read into those verses there. We've read Galatians 3.28. So Paul is making his appeal to Philemon to receive Onesimus back. You will not be receiving the same person who left. Physically, yes, but spiritually, no. He has been transformed on the inside. And Paul has had the experience now with Onesimus to see his behavior as a born-again Christian or born-again child of God. So he's making his appeal based on on that as well. Now let's uh, look at Philemon verses 1 through 3. Paul, again, is a prisoner. We have discussed that already. Uh, We just alluded to it here because this is part of the passage. But he is a prisoner because of his proclamation of the gospel, and especially the Jews who did not like that proclamation, Christ as being, Jesus as being the Messiah. And as a result of that, Paul ended up in prison because of their not believing in their Messiah at the time. He's making his appeal still. And also Timothy um, and Timothy, our brother. There are several letters that Paul wrote that began in a very similar manner as opposed to not a prisoner of Jesus Christ, but and Timothy, our brother. There are several letters that began in a similar way. And one of the reasons I think Paul does this is because the people or the person, in this case, to whom Paul is writing, uh, that person knows Timothy. When Paul was in Ephesus, Timothy spent a lot of time with him in Ephesus. 
And no doubt Philemon had met Timothy. They may have known each other personally to some extent. So Paul is being courteous here, just letting Philemon know that Timothy, our brother, and your brother, he says our, your brother and my brother, oh, is with me. So he, this is one of the people who are with me. So he calls him our brother. If we look at first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, we see something very similar. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, we see something similar. And then in First and Second Thessalonians, Paul says something similar as well as he is giving the greetings in these particular letters. Paul calls Philemon, notice the second part of verse 1, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker. Our beloved brother and fellow worker. The implication here is that Philemon is a believer. Uh, Paul knows that. He was probably converted under Paul's ministry when he was in Ephesus, as we mentioned. And, but he also calls him a fellow worker. Notice he calls him a fellow worker. We don't always know everything that took place, but Philemon may have been in Ephesus for some time or some period of time after his conversion, and he may have served with Paul in Ephesus, proclaiming the gospel. In fact, this term, fellow worker, refers to a partnership in the ministry or missionary proclamation of the gospel. So Philemon may have proclaimed the gospel with Paul while Paul was actually in Ephesus, where, where Philemon was no doubt converted, or he was converted under Paul's ministry, whether he heard him by someone else or heard, heard Paul directly speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he is the one to whom Paul is making his appeal. He's appealing to Philemon to forgive and to receive his runaway slave Onesimus back and to forgive him for what he has done. So Paul calls him a fellow worker. Verse 2, and to Aphia, I'm assuming that's the correct pronunciation, our sister. Notice he calls her our sister, implying what? She's a believer also. Now, there are those who believe that this may have been Philemon's wife, which is possible or perhaps likely, but the Scripture doesn't say. So we cannot speculate any more than that. Our sister. But that's, that's a, I guess that's a good possibility that she could, be his, could have been his wife. Because she may have had, usually during that time, the wife was the oikodespotes, that is, the ruler or the master of the house. So with receiving Onesimus back, something really change. Receiving, yeah, that's right, oikodespotes. She was the ruler of the house. She was the master or mistress of the house. And so with receiving Onesimus back, uh, the Archodespotes, that means master of the house, 
would have some part to play in this in terms of now we have another person. This man is back now, and there would be some interaction or relationship between them in terms of whatever his function might be in the house. And to Archippus, Brother Mike talked about Archippus a little bit last time, and Archippus is also considered by many to be the son of Philemon and Aphia. We don't know for certain that that's the case, but we do know that Archippus had a ministry. So let's turn to Colossians chapter 4, verse 17. Colossians chapter 4, verse 17. He did have a ministry, and apparently he was a member of the church at Colossae, and he had a ministry that had been given to him because Paul, in his final words to the Colossian believers in that letter, he says this in verse 17 of chapter 4, say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. He is being admonished to take note of the ministry that he's been given, and Mike talked about this, so I'm not going to go too much detail on this, that he might fulfill it. And that is, the lesson that we learned from that is that that's always what we want to do. Whatever our ministry is, we want to give attention to it. We want to be diligent about it so that we will be carrying it out on an ongoing basis. Because notice the language here. Take heed to the ministry which you have received which implies that someone has given it to you. This is a ministry that was given to him. He had received it. Now go about taking care of it and fulfilling it, carrying it out. And that's what we want to be doing as well. He also calls him a fellow soldier, which is somewhat unusual because usually when someone is called a fellow soldier, that person is actually in ministry with the one who's calling him that. He calls him our fellow soldier. You see that? Um, Paul also called a man by the name of Epaphroditus, who was from Philippi, his fellow soldier as well. That's in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. Who had come from Philippi to Rome to visit Paul on behalf of the Philippian church and to serve with him there. Uh, Paul called him also a fellow soldier. This is someone who has been in the trenches or in the trenches with the one who's calling them that. They have faced hardship, they have faced different obstacles and very, of various kinds. And he's calling him a fellow soldier. He goes on to call, to, to say to the church, in your house. This is how we know that, and this refers back to Philemon. Even though there are some other names between the term Philemon and Philemon, but if you notice here, and you can't, we can't see it in the English Bible, and to the church in your house. The word your here is singular. It's not referring to all of the people who were listed in between Philemon and uh, and this word, this term right here. So it's actually saying the church in Philemon's house, your singular house. So again, this letter is directed primarily to Philemon, and we can see that in, the, in its contents because the appeal 
is always being made to Philemon. And then he closes it out. Roman numeral 10, prayer wish. Paul's prayer wish is grace to you and peace, verse 3, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This prayer wish is sometimes called a prayer formula, is a little bit different than the one in Colossians. Colossians. It says, grace to you and peace from God our Father, but this one adds, and the Lord Jesus Christ, whereas the one in Colossians does not add that. I think Paul is wanting Philemon to have a greater depth, even the church there, of the grace of God. He was concerned about Philemon because of what his slave Onesimus had done and Paul was wanting Philemon to receive him back with forgiveness and acceptance and he's going to need this grace in order to be able to do that and that there would be peace a reconciliation among them. Also he wanted them to understand and appreciate more fully the relationship of grace and peace that God had established with them in his son. Jesus Christ. So what lessons can we learn? I only wrote down one here, and that is forgiveness, even though we haven't fully gotten into the letter yet. But forgiveness is the lesson that's being taught in this letter. We want to always be be mindful of the reality of the great forgiveness that Jesus has provided for us and our forgiveness in Christ. Sometimes it takes reflecting back on our lives and how we may have lived in the past and even now. Not only in the past, but even now. God is quick to forgive. In Jordan's prayer, he talked about God is wanting to hear from us. He's wanting to hear our confession of our sins. And he's quick to forgive us of our sins. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says this. Be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Let's be quick to forgive one another. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the opportunity to study this letter. It's not a letter that I spend a whole lot of time in, I pray that I will spend more now once we have studied it and learned more about it and its magnificence and importance in our lives, especially as it relates to forgiving. We see that Onesimus, the slave of Philemon, had wronged him. He ran away, which was also wrong. And both of these were capital offenses. But we see that Paul is making an appeal to Philemon to forgive him for his offenses against him. Father, let us be mindful of the great forgiveness that you provided us in Jesus Christ, and you now accept us in him. And may we be quick as a result of that to forgive others. Father, we commend ourselves to you and to your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.